0: All right. Uh, well, as Anna said in the announcement uh, with the unique accelerator that space is limited, and actually uh, we, are, we are like this close to being full. Uh, there may be a couple people that cancel out of that. And so if you're planning to go, uh, you better get your name in there. Um, and I'm really excited about it because uh, I was a little bit nervous as to whether or not we were going to get uh, the amount of people because it is during the day. Um, But I think through this series, what we're discovering is that this is something that we actually really need in our life, and uh, so I'm really excited about that. If you don't get into this Accelerator course, uh, starting in January of 2020, we'll be raising up coaches all this year, uh, and then we'll have opportunities for every person in our church to go through this, Uh, and so this is a big part of who we are as a church and helping people discover their purpose, and uh, we're really excited about that. Um, The... the other announcement uh, that we got was about connection, and that's following, I don't know if you know this, but May 24th is today. Uh, and so following service today, uh, we'll be having our connection class. If you want to know more about how you can get connected to the life of the church, where we're at, where we're headed uh, as a church as well, uh, uh, we that's where we do our membership. Um, you can get online right now. And register because I think my wife is ordering pizza for lunch, and so uh, we want to make sure that we have enough food and childcare for you as well. So if you are going to come, don't wait until the end of service. Do it right now. Uh, I'll give you a pass to get on your phones right now and uh, make that happen. How are we doing today? Are you doing all right? I'm. Uh, I'm always amazed. You know, I, I this is. I'm just giving you a little insight into my brain, um, but. Uh, Every week, I'm just amazed by the fact that people show up, and 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 I don't mean that because we're. I mean, we have a great church, we have a lot of leadership and stuff, but I, uh, but but I do uh, carry the weight of like what what is it that I'm going to tell you that you need to hear today, and I, I I really hope that uh, no, I I believe that what the Lord's put on my heart uh, for us as a church will be impactful, uh, not just in the the 5% of your life, but really the 95% that you live out each and every week. Uh, We're in this series called Let Your Life Speak, and we're really trying to answer the questions, are you drifting or are you you seeking? Uh, Are you just drifting through this life, or are you actually seeking the purpose and plan that God has for you? Uh, Are you uh, in a place to where you are um, wishing that your life was a certain way, are you actually allowing God-sized dreams to take place and form uh, in your life? Are you staying on the path that God's put you on, or are you getting finding yourself getting derailed? Uh, are you? Last week we talked about: Are you working in order to rest, or are you actually resting with the understanding that you get to work? Uh, Last week, we talked about how uh, most messages are the dangers of overworking, and really what what the crux of last week's message was, we talked about the dignity and the purpose of work, that work actually was pre the fall. I know that doesn't feel right, but actually God created work and work is good. And so today we're going to uh, look at what happens when our work goes bad. But before we do that, I want you to take a moment, I want you to, as we did last week talking about uh, what our first job was, I want you to look to somebody, and if you don't have anybody sitting around you, find somebody, I'll, I'll be patient with you, but I want you to tell somebody what your worst job was. Worst assignment, worst job, don't give any names as to who your manager was, but just what was your worst job that you ever had? Go ahead and share that. Come on, don't be shy, you guys can do this. Everybody get a chance to share? All right, so let me tell you about my worst job. My worst job ever was uh, I was working for a rural electric company called Douglas Electric in Douglas County, Oregon. And I was a summer grunt, which is exactly how it sounds. And my job was to do manual labor throughout the summer and to be mocked by the linemen. So uh, I think that's the whole reason that they hired us. Uh, Some of the assignments that I had uh, was one, Uh, I had to be a flagger, so we would shut down a lane of traffic, and I was the guy holding the stop and slow sign, the little walkie-talkie letting people through. Uh, I've done that. Uh, Another assignment that I had was they would would bury the electrical cable in the ground, and so they would be digging these ditches, these five-foot-deep ditches, and when the backhoe would knock a bunch of dirt into it, rather than digging it out with the backhoe, we would jump into the ditch with a shovel and we'd be shoveling the dirt out of it. Uh, but th- those are bad, but those aren't the worst. The worst was they would, uh, we would have these augers that we would drill these holes for uh, what are called electrical poles, not telephone poles. Electrical poles. The telephone people just hijacked the electric poles. And, and I only know this because they told me on multiple, hey, are we going to put the telephone? It's not a telephone pole. It's an electrical pole. So we put the electrical pole in the, in the hole. But what happened was it's a man-sized hole, but sometimes they would hit rock. And the, and the auger wouldn't go through the rock. And so we still had to get to depth. Guess what happens? Q. Ryan into the hole... And then here, let us lower down a jackhammer to you, and now I'm in a a man-sized hole, and I'm I'm jackhammering the rock, shaking my whole body, and guess where the linemen are? Standing around the hole, swearing at me, telling me I'm not going fast enough, yelling at me. You know why? Because I was a Bible college student. And so I'm, I'm jackhammering, and then, you know, it's a small hole, and so you can only get so much rock chiseled out, and so then you can't get a shovel in there. So what do you do? You, you squat down, and you get the dirt with your hands, and you got to throw it out, and then jackhammer some more. It's the worst assignment of a job that I ever had. I hope if you have that job, I am so sorry for you. Uh, get another job because that 's a horrible horrible job. but what is it about miserable jobs? what are components of miserable jobs let 's just hear some just yell just yell out some things that th- this is like if I was going to describe a miserable job it was be it would be because of this what's what 's a miserable job what bad boss okay somebody else disrespect, disrespect of of being like your superiors disrespecting you or or customers disrespecting you okay what else low pay hot hot like like i'm hot oh 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 it's hot in the environment in which you're working okay entitlement okay what else A a drill sergeant, okay? Marine drill sergeant. You guys are much better at this in first service. I had to really, really pull it out of them. Yeah, we have all of these components of what we think is a miserable job. Work for us can be frustrating, but if you remember last week, I actually said that work is a blessing. And I know you didn't believe me, but the truth is, is that it is. And what we see is in Genesis chapter 1 and 2, we get the answers to the questions as to why we are here, why we exist. We get the answers to the question, how did we get there? How did we get to this place? But then in Genesis chapter 3, it takes a, a drastic turn. Right, The serpent enters the garden. A lie is told, manipulation, distrust, blame, and then the worst, disobedience. And it's because of the disobedience of eating the forbidden fruit that Adam and Eve find themselves amidst banishment, and they find themselves in the midst of shame and a curse. And what we discover is that this isn't just their story, this is our story. And I want to read it to you in Genesis chapter 3. To the woman, he said, I will make your pains in childbearing very severe. With painful labor, you will give birth to children. Your desire will be for your husband, and he will rule over you. Let's just pause there for a second. <laughs> Let's explain that a little bit, that there, there, there was this creation, and, and we were designed in the image of God to be helpers to one another. That we're designed to be partners, to care for each other. But in Genesis chapter 3, in the midst of this sin, in the midst of this disobedience, all of a sudden we see a hierarchy take place. And now the way in which we relate to one another, this desire to rule gets completely warped in our mindset. And how we relate to other genders becomes warped. Thank you for coming to Lifehouse for this encouraging word. <laughs> Did you know that we will spend the majority of our lives at work? You will spend more time with your coworkers than you will your friends. Unless your friends, of course, are your co-workers. You'll spend more time with, the, with your co-laborers, the people who you are working alongside than you will even your family. The Gallup poll did some research on our work ethics and they discovered that only 25% of employees actually engage in their job. 25%. That's crazy. 55% say they're simply going through the motions at the office. And 20% of you, no, I'm just kidding. 20% report they're actually intentionally working against their employees' interests. One in five are engaging in a daily insurrection against the organization and the management of the company they work for. If you're a boss or a manager this morning, that is not very encouraging, So 75% of us are not engaged actively at work. Three out of every four people are disengaged from the call, the assignment, the job that God has placed before us. One of my favorite authors, uh, really of all time, is a guy by the name of Patrick Lencioni. He's written quite a few books. The reason why I like him is because he, he writes business books but in story form. And uh, one of his books is The Five Dysfunctions of a Team. Another one, which is one of my favorites, is uh, Death by Meeting. And uh, if you're a person in your job where you have to go to a lot of meetings, you get that and understand it. Uh, But he recently wrote a book that's uh, entitled, uh, or not entitled, it's titled, Three Signs of a Miserable Job. And in this book, he points out the difference between a good job, a bad job, and then A miserable job. Okay, so uh, I I want to kind of give you the three things that make up a miserable job. Because I might not want to do what you do, and you might not want to do what I do. In fact, there's probably people in this room who uh, I know what you do, and I'm not interested in that. But there's also probably people in this room that look at me every Sunday having to speak in front of a group of people and think, I don't want to do that. That We're not interested in it. And it really depends on the person, right? The, The thing that might be a good job for you is not a good job for me and vice versa. But what is it that actually makes a job miserable? Because miserable jobs are everywhere. Did you know that a janitor can actually be happy in his job making minimum wage and an NBA player who is actually making millions of dollars can be miserable if he's on the wrong team? It depends on the person. So how do you know that you're not just in a bad job but that you're in a miserable job? So I'll give you a graph that Patrick Lencioni gives us. And the first side of the graph is anonymity. The the reality is is that everyone has a desire to be known and to be seen and to be recognized. That we need somebody to pay attention and notice to what it is that we're doing. If you are anonymous in your work, then you're probably in a miserable job. The second side of the triangle is irrelevance. We want to matter. We need to matter. right? We want to know that the work that we're doing, the things that we're accomplishing actually are making a difference to someone or to something. That it has something greater than just a meaningless task. So if you, don't, if you don't think that you're making a difference or if you don't believe you're making a difference, you might be in a miserable job. The third is in measurement. That we actually need to track if we are making Progress. If you don't know how you're doing, if you don't know if you're actually fulfilling the expectations of your job description, it's going to be a miserable job. I recognized that as I was reading this, that there has been times in my life where I have been in a miserable job. But then I was super convicted by the fact that I think at times I have made people work in a miserable job. But check this out. If you look at Genesis chapter 3, what you find is that uh, this isn't something new. Patrick Lencioni doesn't get to take the credit for this because really these three things have been around since the beginning of time. Right? If, you, if you look at Genesis 3, what you find is that there was anonymity in, in verse 8 of chapter 3. They ate the fruit. And what happens? They become shamed. They, they, they hide. They, they start hiding themselves. And now all of a sudden they want to feel anonymous. There's irrelevancy, this fruitfulness. In verse 17 and 19, we discover that the ground will not yield the fruit that was once promised. And then the third thing is immeasurement. And this takes a little bit more explanation. Because the sin that they did was they ate of the tree that really symbolically says that they don't that they are their own gods they determine for themselves that that they're their own gods and that now the god that they look to for their reference on what is right and what is wrong now there is a divide and all they have is to look at themselves for the determination of what's right and wrong and how can you measure that Whether you're progressing or regressing when your standard of right and wrong is really based upon a moving target that what's right for you is wrong for me and what's wrong for for you is right for me. Anonymity, irrelevance, and immeasurement. The the point of all this is that if you find yourself in a miserable job, it might not just be the dynamics of it it might not be a bad boss or low pay it might not be toxic coworkers or in an environment that's hot it's not human psychology it's actually our brokenness and our humanity tim keller says it this way he says because the fall of the human race Our work is profoundly frustrating, never as fruitful as we want, and often a complete failure. This is why so many people inhabit the extremes of idealism and cynicism. From the moment of the fall, humankind has suffered from moral schizophrenia, neither able to deny sinfulness nor to acknowledge it for what it is. See, because we don't acknowledge and recognize our sinfulness or our brokenness of our humanity or our disobedience of God, because we don't recognize it, we go between these two stages, these, this overly idealistic stage or this overly cynical stage. We either have our heads in the cloud or, or we live in this jaded perspective that nothing is right. In January, there was an article in the New York Times by a woman named Julia Shears, and this is a woman who grew up in a religiously abusive home. She lived in such a very legalistic home uh, that she was determined that she was not going to raise her children the way that she was raised. And she writes this article because she's standing in line waiting for some food, and she's got her daughter by the hand, her young daughter, and somebody goes by outside of the of this restaurant well, through the windows and they're holding a sign says something along the lines of gin is sin or something along those lines and she sees the word sin and she looks up at her mom and she says mommy what is sin and so julia writes this article and realizes that she had gone so far to the other extreme that she hadn't taught her nine-year-old daughter what sin is. This is what she says. To me, the greatest sin of all is failing to be an engaged citizen of the world. So the lessons are about being open to others rather than closed off. We started taking our kids to marches when the younger one Davia was an infant perched on her shoulders. And three year old Tessa danced between the lines of protesters as if it were a block party. Our church is the street, our congregation, our fellow crusaders. We teach our children to respect the earth by reducing, reusing, and recycling. And I gazed into Davia's upturned face and felt a rush of love and happiness. I had raised my daughter without sin. <laughs> That's not possible, right? Can you raise a child without sin? Okay. Who's gonna have to start over? I had lunch plans today. No, you can't raise a child without sin. They they have this saying that you. Uh, that your job is not as a parent to prepare the road for the child, but you're actually your job is to prepare your child for the road. And the question is, is how well can you prepare a child for the road if they don't have a moral category to describe what is wrong with the world? And that it's not just something that can be protested in the streets, but it's actually something that has to be protested in our human hearts within you and me. See, we all have this need to be restored and redeemed. And if we don't know the definition, the theological definition of sin, it is a life that is separated from God. But so many of us, like Julia, have moved to this other extreme where we don't talk about sin. We might not even believe in sin. But the reality is the same, that all of us at times pushing God away. Maybe what we need to do to get to the root of the problem with our frustration at work and working in the midst of a miserable job is to understand that it's bigger than just our job description. That maybe it's bigger than the way your manager treats you. Could it be that instead we are supposed to partner with God in the midst of our work. That God cares as much about your work as he does about your prayers and your devotions. Maybe 75% of us are disengaged with our work because we don't actually believe that God is with us in our work. The Bible describes our fruitfulness with the image of thorns And thistles. You have to go back to to when this image is given to Adam and Eve. Because we don't really have a great concept of thorns today. Uh, Our our best concept probably or our best example of this is probably in the case of roses, that uh, you know, every rose has a thorn. That when you give roses to your wife and, or you go to trim your roses, there's thorns there. But, but even when you're working in your yard and you have something that has thorns, guess what? You have gloves. Think about it in the context of Adam and Eve. Here are two gloveless people who are now having to work the soil. See, in their context, what we find is two gloveless people whose hands are in the midst of the thistles and the thorns, and it's ripping them to shreds. I like how uh, there's a, a pastor's kid who uh, his parents were in charge of the vineyard church in England, a guy by the name of Marcus Mumford, and I like how he says it. He says, spare me your judgments and spare me your dreams, because recently mine have been tearing my seams. I sit alone in this winter clarity which clouds my mind, alone in the wind and the rain you left me. It's getting dark, darling, too dark to see. And I'm on my knees and your faith in shreds, it seems corrupted by the simple sniff of riches blown. I know you have felt much more love than you've shown, and I'm on my knees, and the water creeps to my chest. But plant your hope with good seeds. Don't cover yourself with thistle and weeds. Rain down, rain down on me. Look over your hills and be still. The sky above us shoots to kill. Rain down, rain down on me. The rain, of course, being the grace of God that can fall on our lives. Thorns, thistles, weeds, images that we, can, we can't help but look back to Genesis 3, the thorns that will plague our humanity. But then we get to fast forward to the Gospels when our Savior puts on a crown of thorns for our punishment, for our disobedience. See, what would it be like to to work not amidst the thorns, but having Jesus taken the thorns, taking him with us. Some of you might have heard the story of a guy by the name of uh, Dr. Charles Garfield. Dr. Charles Garfield was uh, living in the Bay Area uh, in the San Francisco, Oakland area, and um, he was living at a time He was was driving at a time when you used to have to do this to cross a bridge. He would daily experience the stress of what is called the toll booth. Thank God we don't have toll booths in Texas, or in San Antonio. I shouldn't say in Texas, but... Right? I mean, so this is what he would experience. And one day in particular, he was on his way to San Francisco for lunch, and he's waiting, he's queued up in a line like this, and he's getting ready to cross because he has to pay the toll. This is before you've got the easy pass and the digital whatever. And and there's actually going to be an exchange that takes place. He actually describes it as not one of the most intimate exchanges you can have with a person. But he's, he's queued up in his line, and he's got the window down, and all of a sudden, he hears music. And he's like, what's that noise? And it was music that he didn't like. He felt like it was rock and roll music. And so he's, he's hearing the music. He doesn't know where it's coming from. He's looking around at the other cars. They all have their windows up, and he's like, it's not coming from them. And what he realizes is that it's coming from the toll booth of the line in which he is queued up to go to. And not only is there music emanating from this toll booth, the guy in the toll booth is actually dancing. He's like, I don't, I'm not a dancer, but you know, so I apologize for that, but he's like dancing around in the toll booth, listening to the music, having a good time, and he's like, what is going on? And so he pulls up to the toll booth, and he says to the guy, what are you doing? He's like, I'm having a party, man. He's like, I know you're having a party. He's like, hey, you can have a party too, dude. And he's like, I don't, I'm, I'm not going to do parties. I don't do parties. You know, he's like, I, he's like but, but why, he's like, why are you having a party? Nobody else is having a party. What are you doing? And he's like, no, man, you can't look at the other booths. He's like, he's like, what do you see in those other booths? He's like, what do you see? And the guy's like, I, I see toll booths. Dr. Garfield says, I see toll booths. And the guy's like, no, man, you don't have enough imagination. He's like, those aren't toll booths. Those are vertical coffins, dude. He <laughs> says, What do you mean they're vertical coffins? He says, I can prove it. At 8:30 every morning. Live people get into the vertical coffins. And then they die for eight hours. And then like Lazarus raising from the grave, they emerge and they go home. For eight hours, brain on hold. Dead on the job. Just going through the motions. And Dr. Garfield was so amazed by this guy, he was so intrigued by him. He's like, I gotta take you to lunch. And so he exchanges his his information and he ended up taking him to lunch and he's sitting at lunch and he says to, to the toll booth director, he says, why is it different for you? Why are you having a good time? And he says, I knew you were gonna ask me that question. He says, I don't know why anybody would think that my job is boring. He says, I have the best view in town. I have a corner office with glass all around me. I have views of the Golden Gate, of downtown San Francisco, of the Berkeley Hills, half of the Western world vacations here, and I just stroll in every day, and I get to practice my dancing. (laughs) Dr. Garfield digs a little deeper in his conversation with him, and he, he comes to find out that the source of the celebration of the man dancing in the toll booth, is a God who sent his son to take the crown of thorns so his hands wouldn't be stuck in the thorns and the thistles and the weeds. 16 people dead on the job and the 17th in precisely the exact same scenario, and he figures out a way to live. That guy that was throwing a party in a place that you and I probably wouldn't last three hours. All because he has a gospel-centered prism by which he sees life. See, you are not anonymous. God sees you. Even if you're trying to hide, God sees you. You're not irrelevant. You actually matter to him. And not only do you matter to him, your everyday life, the details, he cares about those too. You're not irrelevant. And he's given you a job that according to his law and according to his way, we can actually know how to live in the midst of that job. A joyous life because of all he's done for us. See I love the fact that we serve a God that cares about you enough to want to know what's going on tomorrow. Every one of us will wake up and go into our days. And the question is is will you dance in your toll booth or will you live in a vertical coffin? Let's pray. God, for so many of us, it is easy to get onto the ministry or onto the life treadmill, onto the work treadmill, onto the treadmill that just, it's, it, whether you call it a treadmill, a hamster wheel, a rat race, whatever the case, it's easy for us to lose sight of the opportunities that we have in the midst of our toll booth, of our job. And so this morning, God, I pray for your wisdom and discernment that if there's anyone here this morning who is in a job in which they are anonymous and and feeling irrelevant and, and immeasurable, Lord, God, that you would just give wisdom and discernment into guiding and directing them into something of life for them. And God, for many of us who are, who are in our jobs, that are good jobs, or maybe they're, they're just not feeling all that great in the moment, God, that we would have a renewed passion to take you with us, that we don't leave you here this morning. You actually go with us. Your word says that you will never leave us, you will never forsake us. God, I pray that as a people, we would be reflections of you in every circumstance of our life, including our jobs. God, we surrender to you. We say, God, would you continue to guide us in our purposes and in our ways? or let us not lose out on an opportunity or a divine moment in which we get to share who you are with the world. God, we love you, and we commit our lives to you again and again and again, in Jesus' name, Amen. Well, we're going to receive our offering this morning, and I'm going to pray for that, and uh, and then I want to give you some some things to to ask the Lord about as we as we close our time this morning in in worship. Ushers, go ahead and come and. And I'll pray for that. Father, we we recognize that everything that we have has come from you. That that our livelihood, our our paycheck, our our jobs, our our families, our gifts, our talents, the, the ability to even work jobs. All of that is really an encompassing picture of of the grace and the mercy and the favor that you've given us. And so when we give of our tithes and our offerings, we're, we're not giving out of compulsion or guilt. We're really just recognizing where it came from. It comes from you. And God, let us never be owned by our tithes or never be owned by our our money, our income, God, but let us be free and generous, recognizing that it's not even the, the money that we give away that is yours, but it all belongs to you, and let us be good stewards of that. In Jesus' name, amen. Ushers, go ahead. You can drop your card in the basket. And as the basket goes by, I'm going to invite you to stand as we we close out our time this morning really with a song that invites you to invite God and the presence of God in the midst of your circumstance. That's an opportunity for us to say, I'm going to fight the battles of my life with him first and foremost. And so will you stand and, and sing with us as we as we step into this, and I, want, I would like you to ask the Lord, what's an area of my life, whether it be in your job, in your toll booth, whether it be in your home, in your family, what is an area of my life that I need to surrender to the Lord? What's the area of my life that I need to allow Him to step in and lead and guide as we go through this life?